following is a vintage broadcasting publication presented by Frank Goss. The following podcast is entitled Dewey's Dumbing Down of the American Children. This series is concentrated on the state of public education in the United States of America. It all starts in kindergarten, you know. You're sitting there on the first day, scared. I can recall vividly my first day of kindergarten. I grew up in my early years in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And at the tender age of four, I was taken to a local church kindergarten. And there I was told to listen to the teacher. My mother just ripped my hand away from her arm and managed to sneak out the door without me noticing. My tears began to fall and there was a sense of abandonment that was so profound. She walked out on me. She left me in a room full of strangers, a group of little people. And then there was this one big fluffy lady who seemed to be all smiles sitting over at the front of the room. But this was no comfort. I'd just been abandoned. My mother had walked out on me. I couldn't breathe. My cries were not really cries. They were just high shrills that penetrated the walls and could be heard into the parking lot. The anguish and the pain and the crushing thought of now having to live life alone. Then the fluffing lady said something. She mentioned my name, and she she talked. Wait, how did she know my name? She asked me a question. I couldn't understand a word she was saying because I wasn't the only one that was screaming out. Everybody was crying. But she was looking at me with a smile. I began to calm down a little bit. The mucus draining from my nose had stained my shirt, and the tears had soaked my collar. I was trying to hold my head up for a moment. I felt so weak. But she smiled. Now that was comforting. And eventually, the kid next to me stopped crying, and then the one next to him. It was a toppling effect, like dominoes that eased across the room. And finally, the lady was standing up and, and talking to everybody, and everybody was listening. And the sniffles begin to grow quiet. She begins by telling me a story about school and about what all we could learn and about friends and puppies and baseball and dolls. Everybody started to listen. The story sounded familiar. The dog sounded like my dog. And you know, I love baseball. Julie, down two chairs from me, she had a doll, even had one in her lap. The story became colorful and exciting, and I began to listen. And I was drawn in with an amazement. The lady was friendly, and she was warm, and seemed so kind. She won me over with her stories. Things began to make sense in my four-year-old mind. The world began to come back together through her stories, and she had a few. Pretty soon, she had the rapt attention of every child in the room. This will be the primary means for me, for the remainder of my days, to help me navigate the world. Stories. We reason almost everything we experience through stories. There are two ways we learn to see the world. First, we use a narrative paradigm. A paradigm is a widely accepted, a widely accepted example. It's belief or concept. Prior to discovering the world was round, the common belief or the common paradigm was that the earth was flat. But it was a story repeated over and over, and therefore it was believed by the masses. People understood the world to be flat because of the stories 
they had heard. Second, there's the rational world paradigm. And this is where men like to think they're the most accurate most of the time. They tend to deal in logic and reason, you see. And men tend to look at things in a reasonable fashion. We use evidence, we compare and contrast, and we argue our understanding in order to arrive at a solid, fixed conclusion. We all know that there are times when it's fully appropriate to use logic in making decisions, like when you're buying a car, or what shirt you should wear, or the tie you need with that particular coat. The truth is that we're not really that logical at all in the end. Logic is hard, it's cold, and it doesn't really care about your inclinations or feelings. The narrative paradigm is a lot easier. Why? Because stories are far more relatable and friendly. As I sat in the kindergarten class so many years ago, I felt at ease as I listened to the stories that smiling lady told me. The rational narrative paradigm is something that has to be taught and learned. It requires a discipline and an understanding that generally you and I don't possess, particularly in our youth, even into our middle age. We prefer the narrative. Tell me a story. I'll believe you. We tend to make stories out of the smallest, most insignificant events. You come home from work, you sit down, and the wife begins to tell you about watching a kid in the grocery store. She elaborates on what the kid was wearing and how he was acting. Oh, that boy was heading for trouble when suddenly the mother, stepping in, grabbed his hand in such a way that showed that she, too, was upset. It becomes a dramatic tale, a story that you listen to and you picture in your mind. The wife is relating her day to you through a means of a story. Now, your wife wasn't the only one who saw this boy and his mother. The story she tells you is not what the man tells his wife in the car on the way home. He tells her the story as he saw it through his framework of thinking. And there can be 15 variations of the same story concerning the same child and the same mother. Different values are being applied. Our own experiences are coloring the picture, and our history is defining the meanings of this moment in time. The narrative paradigm explains how a single word can conjure up an entire history that can be told from 100 different points of view. For example, you say one word, Watergate, and everybody begins to think of Washington, D.C. and, and what all happened, or mentioned 9-11, or COVID-19. With each word, a complex story jumps to the forefront of your mind. Not a rational narrative, no. A narrative in the form of a story. It's a spontaneous reaction. It's instinct. It's how we have learned to see the world. We learn early on that a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. We tend to take the world we experience and see it in a linear fashion. It fits into a storyline, a beginning, a middle, and we're waiting, in some instances, on the end. We take the facts and events that are happening and we fold them into the narrative that is unfolding around us. And we begin to see a story. We're taught to think this way at a very young age. And again, I digress back to the kindergarten experience. We can recall how we learned about George Washington crossing the Delaware or the way red blood cells go up and down in the body. Why? Because we were told stories that rec recounted these events. And these stories communicated fact. And facts need to make sense to our mind. And the easiest way to do this is to fit the facts into a story that is relatable. 
facts need to make sense to us. You put these tidbits of information into a narrative, and you develop these little facts into a story. And the power of this is incredible. And it's not something we generally notice. People relate their ideas to us in story form. This is a truth that's widely known and recognized, and this brings about new problems as well. We need to understand this, because others understand and realize the power of a story. And thus, they learn how to manipulate stories and design them in order to exploit you and mislead you. These type of people have an agenda. Now, there are several things that move us in a story. It has, it has to be cohesive. It has to make sense. It has to hang together logically. Even if it's an unabashed lie, if it doesn't hold together, then we just dismiss it. If it does hold together, we get caught up in the narrative and it all begins to make sense. We begin to realize the fruit can really be good for food and can actually make one smarter. There are few deviations in the story. It seems so secure and faithfully told, consistent and true. Well, the, the plot progressed. We listened. And then we begin to compare the story that we're being told unconsciously with other stories that we have been told. We have to make our own comparisons and come to our own conclusions. That in the end, we either embrace what we've been told and believe it, or we just reject it outright. For a story to be of value, it must correspond to something that I've heard previously. And this is for contrast and comparison purposes. There has to be a semblance of logic to the reasoning. It has to match my value system that has been established over the years. My mother taught me certain things, certain principles, and certain stories. She taught me lessons that were supported by my aunts and uncles and other people around me. These principles were restated in church, and they were pointed out throughout my life. Stories that had a certain rationale to them. They had been repeated enough to find a home in my heart and my mind. And these all combined to form a value system in my life. Now, whether these things are true or not is not the issue. It's very, very difficult to deconstruct stories of a lifetime which have served to create the person that I've become. It was Samuel Clemens that said it's easier to deceive a man than to convince him that he's been deceived. And I'm sure you can see the truth behind that. This all goes to say that you tend to accept another person's narrative if it matches up with the values you have held for years. If you're a conservative, it's easier to accept what Edmund Burke has to say. If you're a far-left liberal, Joe Biden is your man. This makes it difficult to accept new stories as well. And that is to say it's harder for you to learn and adjust to new situations. Why? Because you've been conditioned during story time. And story time plays a great part in your ongoing education. And these are gut responses that you've learned. It's not conscious thought. It's just a gut response. And as humans, we're socialized into stories that are both fictional and non-fictional. We acquire our ability to judge and evaluate narratives primarily through socialization. Socialization begins in the home. Your greatest university begins there, in the home. Your associations generally are extracted from the family unit, and your socialization extends from that point outward. Again, we refer to the kindergarten experience. Who do you associate with? 
What what do they say? What's your family like? What what did they say? What do your parents say? What did they do? All of these things combine to create your narrative. You fill in the gaps in the story based on your own mental framework. So we add our own personal touches to the narrative. We embellish the story through our own personalities. We're storytelling animals. We love to hear a story. And this is why the media is able to tell us the same story over and over and over. And we love to hear it if it coincides with our value systems. Conservatives despise CNN, but they adore Fox. Liberals despise Fox, but they rise and fall with CNN. We love to hear stories, but who's telling the story dictates how well we'll receive what's being said. There's a wide selection of master plots that serve to build and dominate certain ideologies. You have the quest for good over evil, one master plot. You have another plot that teaches revenge, another sacrifice, surrender, romance, the underdog and the chase. There is within us an ability to identify the type of story we're hearing and an ability to fill in the blanks as the story moves along. We're able to put it together unconsciously as the story is being told. Remember, this is a story, and generally a story is a fictional account. So facts are selective, and they're picked from your memory, not from the actual event. You begin painting the picture. You're piecing the story together. You become the storyteller. You have an unconscious file in your mind that you flip through as you listen. And you tell yourself, I, I know this story. I know how this one ends. I can read between the lines. Now, the problem is this. The problem is that when we do this, we do it unconsciously. We reach a conclusion intuitively according to the value system established in our head over time. And this really matters. Why? Because you're trying to make sense of life based on master plots and stories that we've picked up over time. We tend to airbrush over the details in a life matter. The people, well, they're simply actors and figures in a story. Their details are irrelevant. The storyline is what matters. Who wins and who loses? Does he capture the woman's affections? Is revenge achieved? That's all that matters. We become concerned with the big picture, and we overlook that which we deem to be insignificant. We become one-dimensional. What are the allowances that give someone the right to win, though? What did it take for the victory to be achieved? We fail to read between the lines, really, and we miss a great deal of what's going on. We just follow the storyline. The stories we've been told through television, radio, advertisements, and articles, they tend to reduce individuals to nothing more than objects that need to be manipulated for the sake of the story. The ideology must be maintained, so the characters who don't cooperate with the story are seen as being out of sync, and they need to be erased, eliminated, silenced, and removed. Why? Because they're distracting from the narrative. Why? Because they're not contributing to the plot. Rather than being a protagonist, they're antagonist. The antagonist? That's the bad guy. And we're programmed to dislike the bad guy. And the bad guy are the ones who are not like us. They're the ones who do not think or act like us. Their social standing is beneath us. Their economic abilities are far removed from ours. Their educational levels are different from what we have experienced. Our stories don't match. 
The stories we have learned serve to teach us what is normal. This normality fits our narrative paradigm. And now what happens is this. We begin to see as we grow older that we're not matching up with the stories that are being told. You don't match any of the characters. You find no part that flows for you. You see that the story really is a common one, but you're the one that's abnormal. You're the one that's the outlier, and you're, you're not really fitting in to the storyline. Then it becomes easy for a politician or a corporation or a government to sell something to you in order to fix you. You begin to see that you don't match the master narrative, and this is all based not on rational recognition, but on emotional identification. The facts state that you're fine. The truth is, nothing's wrong. Your life is good. Your house is in order, and all is well. However, the advertisement says that this is not true. You need a new car. The old one, though paid for, is using way too much gas, and the story you're hearing is that the ozone is being depleted, and your car is part of the problem. You are contributing to the situation, and you can help correct the problem if only you would buy the new car. It's not something that requires deliberation. It requires obedience and submission. The storyline says, here's the problem, here's the cure. Things have been identified and clarified for you. You simply need to submit and obey what is obviously the correct solution. And when facts are presented in a story, we're more likely to accept it on gut instinct rather than examining it critically. We feel like they're right. All of this is being said to make you aware that 90% of the decisions you and I make are based on the narrative paradigm. They're based on what you feel. Emotions. The rational narrative paradigm, well, we use it to justify the emotional decisions we make. Ask yourself, who's telling you the story that you're hearing? Who's framing it and why? What are they trying to sell you? What values and beliefs are they trying to get you to buy? Or are you just accepting the stories they tell you? Are you believing that the polar ice caps are melting and the world is going to be destroyed in just 12 short years? Does that fit any narrative you hold dear? Then why accept the story? Do you accept the story that you're a racist because your skin is white or black? Or do you accept the story that America is systemically flawed and racist to the core? This is the national narrative today, and it's screaming into our ears that God is dead, Marxism is good, money is all that matters, skinny is the only acceptable way to be, bigger government is the only true answer. Are you unconsciously accepting the story that everything that is happening around you that goes against socially progressive ideas is actually a threat to your personal safety and security, not to mention your family and children? Amazingly. And you may not realize this, but you're being governed by stories you did not write. Stories that are just things we discuss among friends are not what is being told. Stories shape our worldview, and the problem is that we let them do so without our permission. We listen uncritically, and we believe. We have not learned to think rationally. Our schools have not served us well. The average adult cannot read above a fifth grade level of comprehension. The 2022 graduating sen seniors have little to no proficiency in elementary skills needed to succeed. 20% of graduating high school seniors cannot read. 
So what's happening? We're being told a single story. We're being manipulated. We're being told what to believe and how to believe. Why? Because we base everything off the narrative. We need to hear more stories that don't dovetail into today's national narrative. We need to hear other things. We're being led like sheep. We need people to push back on stories that only tell partial truth. And remember this and write it in stone. Whoever controls the narrative has the power. This is Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come.